Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. What is going on? It's the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus here. Glad to have you along at the Los Angeles Clippers. Still waiting for the NBA season to resume. I'm waiting just like the rest of you, hoping that we get NBA basketball at some point in some way, shape, or form this season. The question is when, the question is where, and frankly, we do not know, and we probably won't know for a little while. So why not bring in the TV voice of Los Angeles Clippers, Brian Seaman, a great guest today. Looking forward to having him back on the Hoop All Clippers podcast. We'll chat about some of the best games he has called, talk about what he is doing during quarantine, and also chat about the MJ documentary because we went into it a little bit with Jason Schwartz, my buddy, in the earlier podcast in the week. I'm hoping they'll release this, by the way, on Friday to give you a little peek behind the curtains. Recording this one on Tuesday, May the 12th, and hoping to release it probably on Friday, and get it to you for the weekend. But we'll talk to Brian about his favorite games, and also, like I said, the MJ documentary, as the final two episodes will be on Sunday night. And what has been really one of my favorite things I've ever watched on TV, it's been fascinating to see Michael Jordan, the competitor, Michael Jordan, the basketball player, and also Michael Jordan, the person outside of basketball. I thought this documentary did a really good job portraying what he's like on and off the court. Most importantly, though, obviously, on the court. And you really get a chance to see how similar he is to Kobe Bryant and how Kobe really did try to be that quote-unquote next MJ, but did so in a way where everyone was wondering what was their relationship. And then we got a chance to see that really they were quite close. And initially, he was just that little Laker boy that was hogging the basketball And then he became somebody that Michael Jordan called his little brother during that incredible speech when Kobe's funeral was held or the ceremony was held at the Staples Center. So it'll be interesting to hear Michael Jordan's take in episodes 9 and 10 and how he is perceived after those two because we started to see a little bit of the a-holeness, quote-unquote, that you see from Michael Jordan on the court when he punched Steve Kerr, but he is quite the competitor, and there are stories all over for the top guys in the NBA and how tough they are to play with. I mean, Kobe Bryant, he and Shaq, he and Pau Gasol, they've had their differences, but guys that want to win clearly do whatever it takes. So, without further ado, let's go ahead, let's bring in Brian Seaman, the TV voice of the Los Angeles Clippers. Always a good time when I get this guy back on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. He is a dear friend of mine and one of the best voices you'll hear on TV, one of the best voices you heard on the radio, and one of the best voices now in Los Angeles, Brian Seaman, the TV voice, the Los Angeles Clippers, back on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Brian, what's up, man? 
it's good to talk to you again. I hope you guys are staying safe over there, obeying the rules, and then hopefully if everybody does that, we'll get our sports back sooner rather than later. But it's great to be here, and it's just great to talk to somebody yeah. that, uh, that, that isn't in my immediate house which I love to do, but boy, it's always good to talk to somebody else. <laughs> it's true. We were doing a Google Hangout with a couple of friends last night, and it's just like seeing people, and even though it's not in person, but seeing and talking to other people is really quite something because my wife and I now, we are basically together 24-7, and we have been since the middle of March because you and I were talking about this. I don't know if I actually told you what ended up happening. We ended up getting married in a seven-person ceremony, because we had to postpone the wedding. Because your wedding, I think your anniversary is the same day what we were supposed to be as well. Am I wrong or right? March 21st, right? I'm March 21st. Yep. Yeah, March 21st. Yeah, so there you go. We joined you. So we uh, seven-person ceremony. So it's been interesting because I've been with Alex now legit 24-7. Like we, the only time we're not together in the same one-bedroom apartment is when one of us goes to exercise. It's weird times, man. It's really weird. That's funny because on we had a we eloped and we had a four person ceremony mm-hmm. and interestingly enough my wife has always been the wisest person that I know she has been practicing her social distancing ever since that day so she's been very good at, <laughs> with me anyway <laughs> oh that's good that's really good where'd you guys get eloped uh, well we didn't tell anybody we flew out uh, we had dated for many many years. And she was just like, let's get this done, man. You know, let's, let's just get, let's go elope somewhere. And she's like, I looked it up. Do you know anywhere? I don't want to do it in the States. She's like, do you know anywhere in Scotland? Cause we can just fly in, get married and do whatever. Mm-hmm. And I said, can I pick it? She's like, go pick any, anywhere in Scotland. And I am a fanatical golfer. Mm-hmm. So I chose St. Andrews and, uh, we got, uh, we weren't even engaged when we landed and we landed on a Sunday morning, I want to say March 19th, mm-hmm. and we walked over to the Swelkin Bridge, which is this iconic, maybe the most iconic uh, landmark in all of golf, and we hadn't been in, in St. Andrews for more than 20 minutes, got down on one knee, uh, and then two days later, uh, it was scheduled that we, we ended up getting married in the Old Course Hotel, overlooking a very famous hole, the 17th hole, and then took our wedding photos on the course. So golf has is, is always been in my bones. Unfortunately for my wife, it's in her wedding. But she was great. We were dressed up, and I had a suit on. She had an actual wedding dress on, even though we eloped in front of just three other people. Um, but it was a great day. That's tremendous. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 100, how excited are you then for next Sunday with the uh, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Tiger, and Phil? It's good, man. Like, I usually don't like amateurs playing golf and I've seen Peyton swing a little bit. I'm like, okay, Uh, I haven't seen Brady swing, but I'm just happy to see Tiger and Phil. I, I love, you know, it's funny with sports, like for years, I loved that there was friction between those two guys and I was a Tiger guy, but I, it's crazy. I love Tiger so much and I had so much respect for him. I wanted him challenged every single time. So when Phil played well, I cheered for Phil. Mm-hmm. But deep down, I always wanted Tiger. And now that they're buddies and it's come full circle, I think it's pretty neat um, that, that you can let all that kind of animosity from the early 2000s to now be buddies. And, um, you know, I don't know if there was ever a rivalry like that with Manning and, and, and uh, Brady, but it'll, 
it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, just live action sports. Yeah, it really doesn't matter what kind of sports it is. Did you watch, by the way, did you watch Trez and uh, Pat in their NBA 2K uh, game? I saw just snippets of things. I didn't, I did not watch it. No. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched a little bit of it. And it, it's funny because you want to tune in, you want to hear the trash talk. And for a lot of the game, there wasn't a bunch. And so you're just watching these guys play basketball. And they're not really talking. And it's interesting because these games, you. Normally, you there you're there because you want to see the action on the floor, but for these, you want to hear them talking to each other, and there wasn't a lot of that initially, and it was kind of awkward in terms of the introduction. So, good on them for trying something. I thought the horse thing was also a little weird with the internet connection for some of those guys, but I mean, we're obviously hoping that basketball comes back soon. I'm sure uh, you are as well because you were broadcasting a team that was red hot and was just getting everybody back healthy and was on their way to uh, trying to win their NBA title. And uh, I just, that's such a weird thing. I mean, what do you feel right now when you are sitting and waiting and hoping for the NBA to come back, knowing how good this team is? You know, it, it's interesting because I thought, well, what if this happened 12 years ago? Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be that emotional about the season coming or going. I mean, like the Clippers aren't going to do anything. I would feel for the other athletes. My mind, when this thing hit, went honestly hand on the bible it went straight to lawrence frank that's where my mind went Mm -hmm. i know that in his front office winger all those guys you know uh did such an amazing job mark hughes trent redden and the hard work that they put in for this exact moment like this whole thing and i was just trying to stay positive but i thought man what a jip for those guys their hard work right now currently going you know uh, you know, ignored in a sense, because if, if, if we don't pick up the season and then it went to the fans, you know, I just thought about that day when the signing of Kawhi happened and the trade for Paul George. And I thought, man, this was it. You know, there have been a lot of fans that have been here through all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. And this was their year to kind of be, proud and upfront and have it be recognized that their team was the best. I still am optimistic that it's going to happen. And we're hearing signs in terms of what, you know, we're hearing from Dr. Fauci and we're seeing the major league baseball, you know, get it together. I'm optimistic that something can happen, but I'll be honest. I do not know anything that hasn't already been written, but that's where my mind went. And I just hope that, um, that it, it comes to fruition my silver lining in all of this is, as I mentioned 12 years ago, you would never have this. The bottom line is the Clippers are a true franchise. There is a foundation there that will be there for a very long time. There's a culture that is there that has never been there. Worst case scenario, if this does shut down and the league does not come back, I believe that the Clippers will be right back in the conversation And I think they're going to stay in that conversation for a very long time because of the foresight and because of that front office ability and because of the dedication of the owner. So if the worst case scenario happens, I know that the fans and I know that the front office will get get all that they've ever wanted. I'm positive of it.
Yeah, and then you have Ballmer buying the form, and so that paves the way for the Clippers to get their own arena in 2024, and we all know that's going to be something sensational, just the way Ballmer conducts business, and you know he's going to want the next best thing, and he's right next to that beautiful stadium, SoFi Stadium, where the Rams and Chargers are going to play, and just that coupled with the superstars the Clippers currently have, it's a recipe for success, and it really is a recipe for Lakers versus Clippers for a very long time, which I think is really good for the city of Los Angeles. When we talk about now with everybody being unemployed and the economy and having those two teams be excellent on the floor can only do good things for the city of Los Angeles, which is something that we frankly couldn't have said five to 10 years ago, Brian. You know, it's funny. And I, I think a lot of people felt this way that they wanted the Lakers to be great and the Clippers to be great at the same time. Like I think Clipper fans felt that, um, I know it was discussed on our travel party a lot. Like we, we wanted both teams to be great. To be clear, yes, the Clippers over the last ten years have been the better team. This is a Laker town, and the Lakers were so dominant for decades that the Clippers were the delinquent in that equation for so many years. Mm-hmm. And now the goal is both realistic and the same for both teams. And I, I hope it stays there. As careful what you wish for. I really do. I, I get. I believe that. You know. The Lakers were so good this year, and I think that they were overall the better team in terms of the uh, the way they played. I feel the Clippers were just getting warmed up, and I think that they took their time in this season to get all the pieces right, and I think, no question in my mind, the better team is the Clippers, but the team that played better this year were the Lakers, and I think that they were both going to peak at the right time, and I still think it could happen in the conference finals. It is unfortunate that it will likely be in front of no fans. Mm -hmm. But I think the city of Los Angeles will be the mecca of basketball for the foreseeable future. I really believe that in great ways because of both the Lakers and the Clippers. Yeah, I think it would be a crime if we have this series and no fans. It would be so sad. I mean, I really think have two or three fans from each team and just have them at different (laughs) sides of the court and just let them scream whatever they want. I I really think you can do that. Get some crazy fans. Get Clipper Daryl in the arena. You know, get get someone else. Get, who knows, Jack on the other side. I'm sure Jack Nicholson will be there hooting and hollering if he wanted to. And then have them those guys play. But like you said, I mean, it's it really is the mecca of basketball. And we talk about fans. And I want to transition to something that's happening right now on Fox Sports West. They're replaying the most memorable games in Clippers history. And I'll tell you the ones that stand out for me. And I'm pretty sure the one that stands out for you the most um, is the Grizzlies comeback uh, when the Clippers just went nuclear. Reggie Evans, Nick Young. I mean, I remember where I was in Utah watching that game. And then, of course, the game that stands out the most for when I was there was the Austin Rivers game, game three against the Rockets. And I think it was 2015 when Austin just took over. And then, of course, finally was the CP3 shot to beat the Spurs. Those were three games that I will never forget for the rest of my life. Which one stands out the most for you from the broadcaster standpoint? Um, boy, both, you know, to me, it's the Spurs and the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Austin game I had good feelings for, for Austin, you know, coming in. Um, and, and, you know, everybody, he, he just had a, he had a negative rap. And I never saw it. Like, I just saw a guy that was super confident that had to be. But I was super happy for him that night. People chanting his name. It was awesome for him. And I remember 
Chris coming up to Doc after the game and saying, man, I need you to stop being a coach and start being a father just for this moment right here. Mm-hmm. Like, put the clipboard down and then just enjoy this moment. Um, and it was great. But, boy, I tell you what, um, I, I want to say it was April 29th, 2012 was the game with the Grizzlies. And I had never seen a playoff game before as a broadcaster. And we are in Memphis with this, this team that I thought was really good but I felt that Memphis was a little better just because they'd been there before. They, they were like really physical. I thought Chris was a little nicked up. I was a little concerned, a lot concerned, to be honest. And then I was um, DEFCON 1. Uh, after the first quarter, I thought, oh, boy, this is going to be a tough one. But that comeback, that crowd, the stop at the end, I can still see it in, from my vantage point. And, you know, I, I remember – just being like, yeah, okay, the comeback is nice. They're at least trying, you know, good, good on them. And but when they took the lead behind Reggie Evans, I thought, oh my gosh, can this really happen? And well, we know what 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 happened. And you know, the fun thing was after the game, there was a big team party, and all the players came in, and all the you know the travel party was there, and it was just awesome. Like it was just so fun to be around that scene, and you know, the players, all of us just chopping it up after the game, and. I think we were there until the early morning hours. That game was a Sunday night, and we didn't play again until Wednesday. So, you know, it was just a free-for-all. You could just do whatever you want that night. And I, I just – it was one of my favorite moments in life just to be a part of that. It was a blast. Which was better, that game or getting engaged at St. Andrews? <laughs> I know that I have to stay engaged at St. Andrews. <laughs> the only difference is – we had already made the wedding plans, so I knew what her answer was going to be. <laughs> there wasn't any surprise there, but there's no question uh, that that is a great event in my life and, the, and clearly the best thing that's ever happened to me. Anybody that knows my wife knows that that is true. Brian, what's it like calling a comeback like that? I mean, it, how do you prepare for it? Because you really can't. And so how do you get ready for it? Try not to get too crazy on your call because it really is difficult in that situation, to balance between being a broadcaster and a fan? It's, it's a good question. Um, so I'll do the two biggest comebacks that I had, which was this one and then the one in Golden State, and there were two different vibes. Mm-hmm. So the one against Memphis, I, I was just kind of a doubting Thomas, I guess. I didn't really believe that it was going to happen. They got it to, you know, whatever it was, from 27 to 20 to 15 to 10. It was – 96 to 90 with like two minutes to play or something like that. And I still was like, you know what? They tried hard, but there was no emotion. If you want me to be really honest, mm-hmm. I didn't feel, and I'm an, I'm a guy that, you know, when I critique my tapes, especially on radio, the first thing I listen to is like, I got to stop being so excited in the first quarter mm-hmm. when big plays happen. But I, I, at the end of the day, I'm like, but that's how I'm feeling. That's the legit feeling that I have at that moment. Um, so it's kind of hard to curtail in that comeback. I didn't really have that emotion because I wasn't, I didn't believe it was going to happen. Now I was still like, I wasn't like, you know, naysaying the comeback. I just, in my back of my mind, I was like, I just don't know if they can get over the hump. As I mentioned, when Reggie gave them the lead under a minute to play, I'm like, boy, this is going to get, this is going to get crazy. And the first time that I really believed it was when the buzzer sounded and um, I haven't heard my call for a while, but I just, I think I said something, oh my goodness, or whatever I said, I was as charged up 
as I've ever been. Now, with the Golden State comeback that happened last year, I knew that they could do it. They had done it already three times that year. Yeah. Now, to do it against Golden State on the road in the playoffs was a different story. So as a storyteller, I'm talking about the times in Detroit and I believe Charlotte and I think Boston were the three games they had done that during that year. And so you could tell when things were turning around, and I knew this, that the team wasn't going to quit no matter what the score was. So I had a similar feeling like, boy, it's a big mountain to climb, but I've seen them do this, stick around. And I said, hey, it got to 15. I remember when they were down 31 to 15, and that was Doc's magic number. So he would always talk about, hey, we get it to 15, we have a chance to win the game. He said that in Detroit, Charlotte, and Boston. And so I just kind of, from, again, a storytelling standpoint, from trying to keep the audience engaged, I'm like, listen, it's 15 points now. There's, I don't remember how many minutes were left, um, but I'm like, don't go away. And slowly but surely things happened, and they took their first lead with Landry's three. And I just, my feeling there was uh, I just wanted to go down and hug everybody in that locker room and thank them for such a fun night. Like, in particular, Pat Beverly. I don't even know his numbers. I just love that guy, man. Yeah. Everything he does makes me laugh. I appreciated his gift in Houston, too. So it wasn't just because he wears a Clipper uniform. I was. I just don't know if I was ever so proud of a team as I was on that night, and it solidified who they were all season. Yeah, that team was a good one. I mean, they didn't have the star player, quote-unquote, but they had just a team chemistry that I don't think we'll see with very many teams. And that was one thing that really helped them. And I just being able to watch it in person is so special. You can watch it on TV. You can go crazy in your living room, but to have the vantage point that you had for those games is something that I'm sure you'll never forget because you have the atmosphere behind you of the fans. And then you have the action right in front of you on the court. And you're the one that's being, forced not even for force is a bad word but you know what i mean to tell the story to everybody that's listening which is obviously a privilege yeah uh, it's, it's one that i really embrace um and you know it's good to have experience like that because i think sometimes from from an outsider's perspective i would i would go nuts like in my mind i'd be like man i would probably lose any poise that i may have having experience gone going through it it does help um it's fun. All of them have been on the road. All those ones that I just mentioned, every one of them on the road. Mm -hmm. And there's something fun about the sound of silence at a crowd that is so loud and boisterous for however many minutes, you know, 45, 46 minutes before the comeback really sinks in. I would love to see one of those um, at Staples Center. There was one, I think it was down 18 against Oklahoma City in game four, but uh, back in 2014, but it's just such a, a privilege. It really is. And I always try to keep that in mind. But, you know, at the end of it all, you know, when the big shot happens, like if it's, you know, Landry hitting the three or the defensive stop by Kenyon Martin on Rudy Gay, like it, at that moment is when I'm my true self. Like I'm just like letting it out. Like that was it. There it is. And um, it's fun. I'm trying to stay calm and mm point out things that may or may not happen up until that point because it does seem so far-fetched that you're going to come back from that deficit but it's it's a fun responsibility to have and it, you're, you're right it's one that I'll never forget. Were there any games that prepared you for those types of games when you were 
starting your broadcasting career, whether it be, I'm sure you did some games, I'm guessing, at Kansas, and then obviously when you were with the Minnesota teams as well. Yeah, there were some. Um, I, I Basically, it's just about you're trying to stay positive, if yeah. you want to be honest. You're trying to stay positive. And, you know, and to be honest, if you really let you behind the curtain, I, and I haven't heard the entire call since then. I, I maybe listened to it the day after, mm-hmm. and I haven't heard it since. But I'm assuming that I talked a lot about, well, this is good practice. You get the butterflies out for game two, and uh, then you can get down to work. Hey, the Clippers have, you know, two games to win one to have the home court advantage. I'm sure I'm trying to promote just being positive and moving on. Um, but nothing can, I think, can prepare you because you st- you can see it. You know, you can see it happening. Yeah. But it's all about the emotion and trying to control it. And for me, it was controlled by me doubting that it could actually take place until it actually happens. And then by that time, you're so dumbfounded that, you know, whatever you're going to say, you're going to say that that was one thing I was trying to keep in my mind. Like, what happens if they win? What are you going to say? And you know what? I never had anything. I never was smart enough to come up with something. Uh, and that might be a good thing. Just let the emotions take over. And I think that might be the one thing that I had practiced with. We had a few buzzer beaters over my time. Mm-hmm. And I think the best thing you can do is just be natural and not have something to say. Yeah, I know there are some broadcasters that want to write down what they're going to say, and then they just completely forget it. I mean, I think I was reading Joe Buck's book, and he was talking about what he was going to say if a team won the World Series, and he thought about it, and you think about it, and you mess it up. If you don't think about it, and you don't write it down, that turns out to be a better call. So that is a, that is a good point as well. I want to pivot over to the MJ documentary, because I know you've been uh, you've been talking about it a bunch on Twitter. Meanwhile, I think that's the best part to come out of quarantine is the fact that you have now slowly but surely moved over <laughs> to Twitter and started to use it more than once a month. I think that's probably the best part about quarantine is that Brian Seaman now is on Twitter. I, I Well, I've been on Twitter for over a decade, which is crazy to say, but yeah. I, I think I have I bet I don't even know. I bet I've less than a thousand tweets. I don't. I don't know how many it is. I am actively on Twitter all day, mm-hmm. um, especially during the season. And and what ends up happening is I'm like, oh, that's a you know, I'll see something in the news, and I'm like, I'll type something out that in my mind I think is funny, and then I, I'll this is it. Literally every time I look at the, the the send button, I'm like, who cares what you think? And that's <laughs> that's the end of every tweet that I've ever had. I just delete that. Just nobody cares about what you think. Um, the MJ doc though, my God, it is, I really believe it's going to be my favorite thing I've ever seen on television. And Mm -hmm. I, and that other people might have a lesser view of it, but I was of age. I followed that team from afar. I was at the university of Kansas when this was all happening, you know, uh, a funny story, uh, so they played a preseason game at Allen Fieldhouse going into my senior year at KU. And I remember asking, like, what needs to happen for us to be able to broadcast that game? And I remember there were like people like, oh, that's crazy. You know, there's, there's right fees to be paid. And I'm like, what are they? Um, I'm going to get it done. And I think the number, whatever the number is, it might as well have been a million dollars because it was so, it was, I want to say maybe, $8,000, whatever it was for a 20 year old kid or whatever I was at that time, uh, that was going to be a heart. But I think in this day and age, I would have done a Kickstarter. 
I would have done a GoFundMe. <laughs> I would have found a way to be able to buy the rights to, so I could say I called an NBA game. Um, so they came to town, and I wasn't involved with it, and I was always bummed out about it. But I followed that Bulls team, and I'm telling you, man, it, it's just like it's, I see it in the past, and a lot of these arenas are still there, a lot of these hotels they go to. To understand my love for this is to know that what a basketball junkie, what an NBA junkie I was for so many years and still am, but like, I just love it. I love hearing Michael Jordan swear. Yep. It's one of my favorite things. I don't know why. I love it. Um, the behind the scenes, the storytelling, the way they're pacing it all out, you know, the stories behind the stories. I just, I just genuinely believe if you were around the NBA at that time and you're watching this and you don't think it's an A plus, then, then maybe you don't love basketball, but I'm curious to get your thoughts. I, I just think it's amazing. And I'm beyond heartbroken that next weekend is the last two episodes. I wish this was a hundred, a hundred, you know, episode series, man. I would watch every one of them multiple times. Yeah, so would I. I said in the intro that I think this is one of the best things I've watched on TV. And it just is so interesting to see MJ off the court and then just to see how competitive he is. And for me, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, so I grew up, I was probably 10 or 11 towards the end of MJ's Bulls career, so I don't remember it that well. So it's great to be able to look back and learn more about it and see about some of these players like Isaiah Thomas, and you get guys like Gary Payton and Reggie Miller and all those guys that we saw towards the end of their career. And just to see his competitiveness and how the guy that I grew up watching was Kobe Bryant, and how similar they are in their competitive drive. I mean, you look at Shaq and Kobe, Pau Gasol and Kobe. Kobe was that guy that got into fights with teammates as well, probably more verbal than physical, but you see it now. It came from MJ, and just the player he is, and it's not only a funny documentary because of some of the stuff he does and says, and I think one of my favorite things is going to Twitter afterwards and reading everything that people said. I mean, one of the, my favorite parts is when they talked about the cocaine uh, ring, I believe, in the hotel room. And there, <laughs> yeah. and there was a tweet about how everybody on that team was now turning to their wives and their families saying that they weren't a part of it. And it, it's, it, it's great. And the part that has stood out the most to me is just how damn dedicated and competitive MJ was. I mean, there was a thing about George Carl and how George Carl didn't say hello to him at the restaurant. And I saw a tweet that said, if George Carl said something to him at the restaurant, he would turn that into a reason why he would get angry. And that's probably the best part is that you're learning so much about who Michael Jordan was on and off the floor. You know, he mentioned that a little bit in his hall of fame speech, which was a debacle obviously, but, um, he mentioned that he would, he just, he, he sought it out and it just ignited him. And I remember there was an interview and I don't know if it was in, in this or if it was somewhere else, but Doug Collins, and maybe I was watching an old Chicago game on one of the archives and Doug Collins was giving his advice on how to guard Michael Jordan. He's like, whatever you do, do not promote conflict. Do not provoke him. Let him be. Don't talk your trash and he'll go for 30 and then you'll be able to have a chance. But if you get in his grill, it's going to be a real problem. And the fact that he could just turn it on, that fire was insatiable. I just, I loved him. I love, I, I, you know, it's funny though. I was, I grew up as a magic fan and that first three Pete for Jordan, I was like, great. He's won three rings. So what magic has five. 
Magic spent the entire 80s in the NBA Finals. And I just would not give up that Magic was the better player. And then when Michael came back for the second repeat, I guess I came to my senses and I was able to enjoy it a lot more and appreciate what he did. And um, I was I, at, it was at that point that I allowed myself to buy Air Jordan shoes because I wouldn't do it. Even though I'm a big sneaker fan, I would not wear Jordans because I was a Magic guy. And I got to be honest, I think that's one of my favorite parts to come through with all this is that I was able to up my sneaker game because I let go of Magic being number one and let Michael be the guy. But this whole series has been amazing. It's so well done and candid. And it's easy to look back after, you know, however many years it's been, 22 years. And there's, you know, peace with a lot of the things. There's, There's not that spitefulness that might you know, like the, there is the, there's a beef with Isaiah, but he at yeah. least recognizes, listen, I respected his game. I don't respect him as a person. I, I get that. I dig it, man. I dig it. I love hearing from Scotty. I love it all, man. This has just been so well done. And I just, I'm going to watch him all summer. I'll watch every one of these again and hopefully show my boys that you know, Michael Jordan was a bad guy, yeah. bad, bad man. And you learn so much like the the whole basketball court that was built when they were filming Space Jam and how they would play from 7 to 9 or 7 to 10. He'd bring in players so he could actually watch them because he hasn't seen some of the youngsters before. I mean, some of the stuff he thinks of is just out of this world. And you're like, how do you get to that step? And he was able to get to that step. Well, he's, he's in a great way. He's just he's a maniac, right? Yeah. yeah. Like he's just a maniac that way. And – He's that way in all walks of life. You know, it's interesting, though, because so I had a friend that used to work in, in the front office for the Charlotte Hornets. And I asked him, I said, man, tell me what it's like. You know, I know how competitive Michael Jordan is. Obviously, Jordan's the owner of the Charlotte Hornets. Right. And he's like, you know what? He is so positive. He's always patting us on the back. He understands what's going on. If it's a losing streak, he's coming in just offering two cents. Hey, if we tried this, what do you think about that? Hey, keep doing what you're doing. I believe in you guys. Never was what you see. And I don't have a problem with MJ the player at all. None. I had no problems with that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I get it. There's a different way to lead. Like I'm a magic guy. LeBron's that way. The way that they lead by, I think, more being positive. I don't have a problem with MJ. Um, But I was stunned to hear that that's how he is as an owner. And they're like, no, man, I love him. He's great. So I found that to be super interesting, despite how competitive he is, that he understands the role of an owner and he's not sitting in there. We got to win this game or else he's just, he seems like he's got his stuff together over there. Get it that it's a smaller market and he's probably not going to dip into the luxury tax, but it seems like he understands his role as the owner. You know, what will be interesting is to see how many young players decide that maybe they want to go play for Charlotte after this because of Michael Jordan, because some of them didn't really understand who he was on the floor and how good he was. I'm curious to see if this kind of becomes a recruiting tool for Charlotte because they haven't been as good as you would expect. And for Michael Jordan, I mean, he's the one that identified that Dennis Rodman would be crucial to this team. And he, he knew that that could happen. And I f- feel like he knows talent better than what we've seen at Charlotte. And I think some young players may want to go and learn under him, knowing how good he is. Well, I, I think that's an interesting point. Now, yeah. Dennis Rodman was an established player. So right. He knew it. Right. I think, I think the devil is in the details of fine. Like, I always laugh when Charles Barkley said he wants to be a GM. And I'm like, you know what? In a fantasy league, 
I would say that he maybe he would do well, mm-hmm. and maybe he could put together a team of known commodities. The devil is in the details. It's finding the next Dennis Rodman that I think a lot of these people fall short of. And whether it's true or not, we've heard stories, whether it's MJ or other GMs, that are just fantasizing over a player coming out of college for that player to not even make the team the next year. Yeah. I hear too many of those stories. But interesting that it might make him look a little better to those guys that didn't see him play is interesting and not something to be ignored. But I, I definitely believe MJ could look at a player that's established in the league and say, this guy can help this guy. I think most GMs can do that, if not all of them. It's, again... It's doing what guys like, and I'll just I'll toot the horn of the, the Clippers again, is that those guys like Lawrence Frank are getting their hands dirty every night trying to find who's the second-round pick steal. That's the guy that we're trying to get. Um, it's easy to say Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to be pretty good together. It's tougher to say, where's Draymond Green? Where's Manu Ginobili? Hey, even a DeAndre Jordan was a second-round pick. That's the hard part to find, but... I'm curious to see if the younger generation doesn't have a bigger appreciation for Michael Jordan. It's easy to do seeing these this this documentary. Yeah, and a lot of these guys idolize Kobe Bryant and they wanted to be like Kobe. So you wonder maybe they're learning more about MJ. How many actually take on that killer instinct? Uh, it'll be interesting to watch. If you um, so you didn't ever see MJ play apart from Allen Fieldhouse, right? You never called any of his games. No, I was in the league at the same time, uh, um, but not. Uh, I was filling in, so we never yeah. played. The, and it was with the Wizards, right? So um, he was with the Wizards when I was doing stuff for, at the time, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I never uh, crossed paths that way. How, put him on the list of I'm assuming players you wish you could have broadcasted. Who will be? Who will be your top three players that you wish you could have seen play in person and called their games? Oh, that's a good one. It'd be Magic, Michael, number one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, that's a good question. Jeez, um, i put Wilt on there just because he's such an enigma. I mm-hmm. would love to see what he did. So those would be my three guys. Um, am I missing somebody? Well, I mean, those are good I think ones. that's about it. Yeah. What's up? I said those are good ones. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's Larry Bird. There's Oh, oh Larry. I got it. You know, I love Wilt. He's a KU guy. Yeah. Love Wilt. No, it's Larry. L- Michael, Magic, Larry, uh, the three guys. In fact, I was in the league for a while before I ever even saw Larry Bird, like in person, ever yeah. in my life. And he was at a game at Staples Center, and I was just kind of like walking along. He was sitting where the Pacers would be sitting on the bench, and I was walking on the opposite side of the floor, but in that direction. And I saw him and I did like a quadruple take and literally my breath was knocked out. Like I was like, Oh my gosh. And I'm, I'm serious. I've been around LeBron. I've been around all these guys, Larry, I was starstruck. And it was, I just sat down across from him in, and I'm sure a super creepy way. And I just stared at him and thought about all the things that he had done uh, in the game of basketball for the game of basketball. And it was awesome for about two minutes. I just stared right at him. And it was at that point in time that security ushered me out and told me that I had to go because I was creeping him out. But that's cool. <laughs> oh, classic. Is, was he, he could have been the security guard. That was MJ's guy, the one that, uh, <laughs> ha, 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 that the white hair that just looked like he got electrocuted. And it's Dizzy playing quarters. I mean, even that game of quarters. I mean, who does that? Trying to get the quarter closest to the wall? Was that the game? Like, how was that a thing? 
I, you know, part what my takeaway with that was that first of all, Michael has his own office in a locker room. Yeah, <laughs> that's how big time he is, right? Yep. And that he was just chopping it up with like you know, the security guards, you know, and and that's a that's a moment those guys will always have. And moments, it sounds like those guys were together all the time. I love seeing stories like that and, and MJ mixing it up with those guys. I mean, it was cool, man. It's, you know, he was ruthless as a player. He even mentioned it before the doc came out that said, look, man, people are going to think I'm a bad guy. And sure, I'm sure, you know, he'd go back in time and, and maybe not punch Will Purdue um, and maybe be a little bit easier on some teammates, but maybe not. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he felt that that was the best way to get through to his teammates but he did mention at the end of the episode seven, he's like, everything I asked them to do, I was doing. So I didn't think it was that much of a stretch for them to join me. But um, I just love these docs, man. I love them. They could not be better. Yeah, that's a good point when he said that I didn't ask anybody to do something that I wasn't doing myself. And it just for him to say break at the end of that episode to yeah. show how much it just took a toll on him. And, man, these next two episodes will be good. Because I heard that, too, that everyone was saying – that his biggest worry was that he was going to be perceived as an a-hole after this. And I don't think that's the case at all so far. I think he's actually become even more likable than before because you got a chance to understand who he was as a competitor, and anybody that has played or watched sports understands that. I don't know how much uh, revelatory information there is, to be honest. We had all heard the stories about what a what a competitive guy he was, too competitive. I'd heard yeah. the Steve Kerr story before, and – um, the Jordan rules where Will Purdue gets punched. We, we knew all that. Um, it wasn't this, it wasn't because he was just, you know, walking in to be a jerk. He just wanted to win and he got irritated if you weren't on the same team and, you know, you're just seeing the stories of it. I can't imagine that he, he it's any worse than, you know, what he was doing to Scotty Burrell. Some of the things he said to Scotty Burrell, man, are in, in it, it's, and I mean it like in a lighthearted way, we're hilarious, man. Yeah. Like that was some funny stuff. And Scotty Burrell is just a good dude, it seems like, that just took it in stride. He'd give it back to him. And, you know, it, it's funny. I get to hear some of that dialogue, and it's never like that, right. you know, at shoot-arounds and stuff like that. But to hear it from MJ was, was pretty funny. Yeah, that's Scotty. He's the one that they uh, that MJ went after on the plane, too, isn't he? When he was talking about yeah, the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Oh man, well this was a, this was a blast, Brian. I didn't get a chance really to break it down with anybody else. So it was fun to uh, chat MJ with you and chat about everything go- everything else going on. My best to your family, and a big thanks to you taking out the time to uh, chat with us on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Always happy to join and stay safe. And boy, it'll be really great to see you at Staples Center sometime soon. That was Brian Seaman. A big thanks to the TV voice of the Los Angeles Clippers for joining us, chatting about Michael Jordan, chatting about the Los Angeles Clippers, talking about his most memorable games that he has called as well. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. We'll be back again next week with a new one. I'm Brandon Marcus saying so long. Please, if you get a chance, by the way, please rate and review this podcast. Give us a five-star rating and leave a little review as well. And if you let leave a review and send it to me at BD Marcus, I will read it on air and I will call you out and thank you as well. So this has been the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Go Clips! This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.
So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 